Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. Very shortly, we're going to have a guest on, Anthony Nieves, who is the committee chair for the ISM's non-manufacturing report on business, a very interesting and important report. Before we get to Anthony, I want to chat with Lou on what's happening up in New Jersey and all the things that are happening in the news. Lou, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, my bedroom is 57 degrees this morning. I refuse to turn the heat on. Uh, my my wife is one great big blanket. And uh, as I go out the door, she says, you're crazy, you're crazy. Anyhow, postscript. Last week, we had Nicole Walter, president of HM Manufacturing in Illinois. Um, she is uh, told us about... Uh, her passion for manufacturing and promoting and encouraging STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math programs, and um, manufacturing to uh, talking to the future generations, as well as being a member of TMA Education Foundation. She also helps with high schools by donating grants and uh, that would be ultimately dedicated to manufacturing programs. There's a lot of that going on uh, today, and uh, ne- next week actually is four years that Tim uh, Grady and I are doing uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio. I might throw in also that next week, uh, November 8th, is the beginning of a uh, third show called Wham! Women and Manufacturing, and that's going to be a really a spectacular show. We have a Rosie the Riveter, a real one, 90-year-old gal who is going to tell us all about history from the 1940s. Um, Regarding training and education, it's coming up all over the country, and it's really terrific. Uh, Matter of fact, we are going to have Huntington Engels on our show in a couple of weeks, and they talk about their training program from three different divisions, one of which is Newport News Shipbuilding, Uh, There are going to be three VPs telling us about their training programs and how they realize that, wow, if we don't get this thing started, we're not going to have people to build ships and particularly military ships. And some of their training programs start out at two years and end at eight years, which they are, uh, they pay for everything. And somebody who goes in, for example, nuclear welding, which I guess is pretty special, eight years to get that full certification. So they're real serious, and uh, I'm really looking forward to having them on our, on our show. In the meantime, in the meantime, one of my favorite characters in the government is a gentleman by the name of Scott Garrett. He was in the 5th District of New Jersey. Uh, we threw him out. He, got, uh, uh, he lost the election. He's now down in Washington, and guess what? Scott Garrett, who is against XM Bank, said they, that is pure cronyism, and he's been saying it for years. Well, guess what? President Trump nominated him to be on the XM Bank uh, committee uh, to take over XM Bank. 
How does that work? He's against the program, and they make him in charge of the program. Well, on Wednesday, yesterday, uh, last Wednesday, I'm sorry, um, he was before the Senate Banking Committee, and now all of a sudden he's changing his tune. He said, "Oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a great job. I'm going to do a great job." This I could tell you. And gee, where have we heard those kinds of expressions before? Anyway, the committee decided they are not voting for him that day, and uh, they are going to wait until somewhere end of the month. I have a funny feeling that he may wind up coming back to New Jersey uh, one way or another. Uh, Just for you folks who are not all that caught up on XM Bank, XM Bank is a a bank that allows uh, large and small companies here in the United States to uh, get loans uh, to compete in the global world because we are not allowed to quote on jobs overseas unless we're backed by a uh, bank. So it's not exactly a subsidy, uh, but they are helping to fund, which they collect profits and interest. It's one of the only agencies in the government that actually makes money, which I don't understand why Republicans would be against that. Um, they, They do a great job. And they are greatly responsible for our export sales that goes on uh, all over the world. And I think uh, Anthony Nieves is going to talk about it today uh, regarding the non-manufacturing, as uh, how those export numbers look. And the, non, the manufacturing report that came out uh, on the 1st of November, uh, that number was uh, really pretty good. I think it went up three, four points. Uh, so this is a significant portion of our economy, and we ought to treat it with its due respect, Mr. Garrett. Tim, back to you. I've now insulted all of Washington. Well, that's not new for you. You love Washington. <laughs> I do. I, I, was born, I was born and raised there, and I've been bitching about that's it ever right. since uh, I was seven years old. <laughs> Ever since you were old enough to know what D.C. meant for it, it meant it was, I, it's always the two-step. I was a news junkie from the age of seven years old. I remember Eisenhower's uh, Republican campaign, uh, watching it on television. I'd get home from school, and I was absolutely enthralled with it, more so then than now. <laughs> Well, now we have some very interesting news, because joining us is Anthony Nieves, who is the committee chair for the ISM's non-manufacturing report on business. This kind of dovetails with the manufacturing report on business. Anthony, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you. We're glad to have you on again. It looks like the report is excellent this time around, so why don't you give our listeners a summary of all the wonderful things happening in non-manufacturing. Certainly will. Thank you very much. And um, when we look at this month's release, the composite index uh, came in at 60.1. The composite index is made up of equally weighted uh, 25% uh, for each index business activity, new orders, employment, and supplier deliveries. At 60.1, it's up ever so slightly to uh, it's up 0.3 percentage points uh, from the 59.8 in September. It doesn't sound like much of an increase, but keep in mind as we are measuring change uh, month to month, uh, we had such a strong rate last month, and we weren't sure if it would be sustainable or not. And uh, if 
whether or not there'd be some clawback and looking at it, certainly not. And this index reading at 60.1 is the highest we've had since the inception of the composite index back in 2008. And if you take this same methodology for determining the composite index and applied it um, in a, you know, retroactively, it would be the highest reading since August of 2005. So things are boding well for the uh, non-manufacturing sector, uh, just as our, our respondents had mentioned to us back in uh, July when we had a little bit of cooling off. In August, we had a nice pickup, and they said it would continue for the balance of the third quarter and carry forth into the fourth quarter, and all indications are going forward it will continue to go on that on that pace. Tony, uh, Lou? Uh, yeah, Tim uh, Fiore uh, was throwing around some potential uh, projections for next year, saying that uh, it looks like it's going to continue into 2018. Uh, would you go as far as to say that? Well, I always like to see how a trend uh, makes out, and looking at it right now, and again, going from what the, what our respondents are telling us, that this is going to carry forward, we tend to have a little bit of cooling off post-holiday, but um, looking at what we see here and what's in the pipeline, especially at the New Orders uh, Index, even though it came off ever so slightly, uh, 0.2 percentage points at 62.8, very robust reading for, for that index. And that's uh, that tells us, um, you know, what we have in the pipeline in the respective uh, industries, companies that comprise this sector. And more importantly, we have our um, semi-annual forecast uh, report coming out on December 8th, which takes into consideration things such as revenue and operating rate and other various measurements that will give us a clearer picture as to what 2018 really looks like. Uh, we'll have to get to you on that uh, as we get closer. Anthony, the, I... Anthony the employment number just popped up to 261,000 and the unemployment index down to 4.1%. I know a lot of that occurs in non-manufacturing, more so than in manufacturing. Is that what you're reflecting in the report that we're currently looking at, which is the October report showing employment up seven-tenths of a percent? Yes, at 57.5, that is a good reading. Uh, as we know, anything over 50 is reflecting growth. So at 57.5, even though it only uh, had an uptick of 0.7 percentage points, still month-to-month -month it um, correlates directly to what we just saw released in the jobs report. We are seeing some constraints, capacity constraints, in the various companies uh, being labor-intensive in this uh, services industries that comprise the non-manufacturing sector. And we see a shortage in skilled labor continuing as we've had month uh, over month and as well as uh, in the construction trades especially. An interesting comment from our respondents, uh, uh, one of our respondents, is that they're seeing uh, skilled construction labor being diverted to the uh, hurricane-impacted uh, regional areas of the country uh, as well as in Puerto Rico, and that's putting an additional constraint in their regional local markets. Ah, yeah, I bet it would because you could probably get a pretty good buck down there today for doing framing and roofing and siding, no question. 
Definitely. So, Anthony, one of the one of the things that falls into your uh, area of expertise because you're in the industry itself uh, is the healthcare and all of the unknowns in healthcare. What is kind of happening in healthcare? I know that the Republicans, uh, I've forgotten how many times before Trump was elected, tried to repeal Obamacare, always voting for it, and then they got the opportunity when Trump got elected and couldn't get it done. What's what's uh, the feel in the healthcare and social assistance area for what's happening in healthcare? Well, it's one of those remains to be seen, and um, even one of the comments that was uh, that I extrapolated from our um, uh, respondents, and I'll read it verbatim: We continue to struggle with the unknowns around Obamacare and its impacts on our uh, uh, healthcare and insurance businesses. And what what it's boiled down to is that in certain areas of the country, the exchanges are strong and participation levels are good and the cost is not exorbitant. And then you get to other pockets in the country. There are not enough providers, uh, meaning doctors and and, um, healthcare providers, in the exchange itself. The reimbursement rates aren't what they think they should be. Uh, In many instances, they're underneath what their actual costs are which makes coverage very difficult for certain uh, individuals trying to enroll on the exchange. And um, you can walk into certain doctor's offices and they'll say that we do not cover, like in the state of California, it's called Covered California, which is one of the Affordable Care Act exchanges, and they won't cover it because it's just the reimbursement doesn't fulfill the actual overhead costs that they have. So there needs to be some fixes. Uh, I know that there's subsidies involved but it's still going to have to really uh, be looked at to ensure that the person that needs to benefit from these exchanges can and that, um, you know, the insurance carriers are backing out because they don't see it as profitable as it it once was in their, uh, Mm -hmm. their vision or what their forecast was. Any headwinds at all that you see in either this report or what might be coming up, Anthony? It looks so strong that I imagine the headwinds are minimal at best. It seems that way, and and you know that question is always out there as to how sustainable uh, is the rate of growth that we are seeing uh, for the non-manufacturing sector. And um, looking at it, it's you know fortunately it's not been this huge spike month over month because how much growth can can really be had out there when looking at a 60.1 composite business activity 62.2 that's very strong reading and just the fact that month over month that we saw um, this this strength still reflected in this sector uh, you would think something's got to give but at the end of the day uh, what our respondents say to us is that we're right on track and we might see some clawback and and I throw this out hypothetically even if the composite dipped two to three points and went down to 57 or 58, is that really a bad thing? It, it's still reflecting a high rate of growth month to month. It just would not be at that same level as we're seeing at 60.1. As we know, anything over 50 reflects growth. Therefore, as you're measuring that change month to month, as that baseline moves, we know that we still have continued growth in the non-manufacturing sector. Uh, Anthony, um, as you know, uh, Tim and I really try not to go political in our shows because we know that (laughs) if we do go political, we lose half our people. 
So that being said, I'll keep it somewhat mildly political. And that, that means is, that uh, Tim's going to keep the other half in, right? Yeah, he'll keep the other half, and I'll just I'll be sitting on the road. <laughs> I'll be kicking the can down the road. Uh, my my question is, and 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 in all ec- economists think or purport to think that everything is cyclical. So is what we are experiencing now, uh, both manufacturing, non-manufacturing, is it a cyclical event that's happening as a result of the Great Recession that we're finally beginning to uh, really start pouring the money on? Or is this something that uh, the new administration has any right to make declarations that uh, look at what he did? Well, I think regardless of um, political affiliation of whatever administration's in place, they're going to try and you know piggyback off of what's going on and 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 take credit for it. Regardless, no matter right. who's in office would do that. <laughs> but when you look at it, to your to your point, everything is about business cycles, and this seems to be definitely a, a cycle that we're in that may perhaps be elongated. But it doesn't make a difference. Um, what drives the economy? Uh, many different factors, many variables. And right now what we're seeing is perhaps a commercial and consumer confidence level that is causing an, uh, you know, an infusion of, of money being spent or uh, reinvested or you know, capital reinvestment, a number of various things that are going on right now. We came out of the election with the uh, uh, label Trump bump, and that kind of continued on for a little bit until that little cooling off period we had at a couple of points for non-manufacturing in the spring and then again in July, and now we have this buildup again. Uh, Who knows? It could be the psyche of the fact that maybe there would be some financial restrictions uh, lifted. There's many different things. But what matters most is that the economy is doing well, the business outlook is good, and that uh, if it can continue on this pace, it bodes well for everyone. Here, here. <laughs> now, yeah, you have to understand that with good. my it's position, you know, I can't, I, I don't take a political uh, viewpoint either way. We're, a, you know, nonpartisan, uh, we're performing a nonpartisan civil service here for the Institute for Supply Management on behalf of, you know, our constituency. Mm-hmm. But we don't take a political stand either way either. I just tend to be a wise guy at times. <laughs> you're from Jersey, you can't. No that. way. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm from Washington, which even gives me more right to be a wise guy. <laughs> Tim. Well, Lou, it's such a strong report, and I know that we talk with. Tim Fiore just uh, recently, and uh, he'll be on our show as well. Uh, we also talked with Chris Keel, who will join us on the show, and everything is just looking so good that uh, you got to be jumping out of your skin for East All Metals and Forge Group. Absolutely. Uh, actually, we have seen uh, in the last two months uh, really significant uh, increases in uh, not only opportunities to quote projects, but actually uh, people are really giving PO numbers. They're not saying, well, I got to wait, I got to wait, I got to wait. Uh, no, they're actually uh, placing orders and uh, 
it's feeling almost like uh, 2007, wow, which I can. Anthony, I have to. Yeah, you can relate to that, Anthony. Yeah. I have to go back to your area of expertise because you're familiar with the healthcare industry, and in my neck of the woods, which is northwest of Atlanta, they're they're throwing up uh, old age homes as fast as they can drive nails and put on roofs. Uh, is that and I, and I have to wonder, you know, those got to be good for 20 years, and then all the baby boomers are likely to be dead. Um, what are you seeing out Curie. in California or other areas, <laughs> other areas of the country in terms of what's happening to serve the aging population? Is it as active as we're seeing here? It is, and and to your point, it is about the demographics. It is about the aging population, the baby boomers. It's what caused me to get involved in the healthcare arena. Uh, besides the uh, altruistic um, benefits of it, uh, you look at the fact that um, the industry was somewhat fragmented um, and definitely was underutilized in regards to taking care of people outside of the home, outside of the hospital setting, rather going into skilled nursing facilities or convalescing in their own homes, and um, it, that that business is there. But the, the challenge is. There's also a lot of regulatory uh, issues that have to be addressed, whether it be from, as we talked about earlier, with the exchange and making sure that everyone is is covered under some kind of uh, uh, policy. And also, uh, you know, Medicare itself, uh, the government arm that uh, is responsible for providing care uh, to the uh, aged population, they are going through sweeping changes that have taken place year over year and probably what they're implementing in 2018 and the tail end of 2017 is far reaching as things of anything that has been seen in probably 30 years so it's all to address uh, this growing uh, pool this this population of uh, of baby boomers and and others that require um, uh, the necessary care I think that the, the key thing uh, in addressing any solution, whether it be healthcare or other business environment, is you know how do we make it simplistic? How do we provide the path of least resistance? And what is the end result that we're looking for in regards to providing uh, patient services, patient care? And yes, we tend to put layers of bureaucracy and complexity in the mix. I feel sometimes it's unnecessary, but there has to be control points as well. As we know, there's been so much um, rapid fraud in the healthcare industry and misuse Correct. of uh, resources and funds and whatnot that has caused a, a great deal of the regulatory action that we're seeing. Unfortunately, you would like to think that people would do the right thing, but that's not always the case. And we have this uh, necessary evil in the mix as far as trying to get all this uh, control in place to make sure that um, that the the resources are going to the necessary and deserving uh, people versus uh, just for pure profit and gain. My response, my part part response to that is we got to the moon. We should be able <laughs> to do this. We got to the moon. That was hard. This is not hard. I saw a, a, a parody of some sort uh, on social media where it was uh, – and not to take a shot at anybody, and I'm trying to stay non-political, but it's kind of where, have you been to the DMV lately? 
Are you sure you no. want your government to run your health care? <laughs> <laughs> I happen to have been to the motor vehicle recently, and that is an experience. That's that is definitely an experience. Usually painful. Anthony, I have to ask you because it came up uh, several times in the last 10 days or so about transportation, trucking industry. Uh, I think they're struggling trying to find drivers, get enough trucks on the road. Uh, What's happening in transportation? And if you can, what are we likely to see happening in transportation? Because I'm sure that everyone is just really struggling. And that's been an ongoing uh, challenge, and that's been one that's uh, been mentioned by respondents uh, almost every month uh, for quite some time, well over a year. Uh, overland trucking, especially in non-manufacturing, where you're dealing with very uh, disparate uh, locations uh, and having to rely on a distribution channel and, and the wholesalers and warehousing in the mix, which requires you know the intermodal, regardless of if you're coming in by ship or rail or whatever, eventually it has to get on a truck. And as we've seen business increase and the shortage of, as you highlighted, drivers and uh, just the capacity issues associated with uh, necess- having the right amount of trucks on the road. So, yeah, there is uh, there is an uh, issue with, some, with transportation at this point in time. We have to think in terms of robots. <laughs> robot drivers. <laughs> That's it. Soon enough, we'll be looking. Well, if we're, if I'm, we're still around, I mean, I think earlier you only gave us 20 years as baby boomers. So I don't know if if I'll be able to see that. <laughs> nah, you will. You will. They just came out with a new robot that has skin-like surface that is filled with all kinds of sensors and that can work in a uh, human environment. I think they're now referred to as cobots uh, instead of robots, and um, it's here. It's 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 coming. And I thought I saw stopped. that in a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That same thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, well, now it's coming to fruition. Yes, yeah, so we're right going to have three. We're going to have the three laws real soon about robots, and uh, Will Smith can educate us on that. Definitely. Uh, there's, a, Anthony, there's, a topic, there's a topic coming up, and uh, actually Manufacturing Talk Radio is going to be addressing this shortly, and that is uh, someone is suggesting that robots have rights, and that's going to become a whole new issue for lawyers to play with. What rights oh do robots have? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Tim, it's back to you. Yeah, and then robot rights are going to extend to machine rights, and yeah, okay. Well, we won't go there for now, but it will be an interesting show. Anthony, we appreciate, as always, having you give us uh, your insights on the non-manufacturing report on business. Uh, another interesting report for even manufacturers to read to get a whole sense of the economy. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Have a great day, guys. Thank thank you, Anthony. And we'll be right back with Manufacturing Talk Radio after these messages from our sponsors. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM. Brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. 
EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks, just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here with Chris Keel, who is a noted economist. He works with Armada Corporate Intelligence. He's also the economist for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International, what we fondly know as the FMA. They have uh, their show coming up in Chicago, FabTech, which is always fabulous. Right now, this uh, coming week, I think it is, uh, a really an excellent show to be at to see what's happening in fabrication, welding, coating. We've got so many neat displays. Lou and I have been there several years, and it's a blast. Chris, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Well, thank you very much. We're always glad to have you here to find out what the Credit Managers Index is telling us about the future and what's been happening in the past and what you can tell us about the future, and we'll try to forget the past. <laughs> Jump into the CMI. How's it doing? Well, the CMI took a little bit of a dip um, this month, but... I don't know that it's a huge issue as yet. I mean, one of the things we've talked about several times on the show in the past is that the CMI has two different sections. It has what we call the favorable side and the unfavorable side. The favorables are things that make credit managers happy, things like dollar collections and applications for credits and things of that nature, things that talk about growth. The unfavorables are the unpleasant part of being a credit manager, collections, disputes, bankruptcies, slow pays, things like that. For the last several months, we have seen very strong numbers in the favorables. You know, we have the same kind of index distribution that the PMI has, the purchasing managers index. Anything over 50 is considered expansion. Anything under 50 is considered contraction. The higher up you go, obviously, the better. So the favorables have been way up into the 60s. We have numbers we really haven't seen for, you know, seven or eight years. The unfavorables are where all the bad news has been. And some of those that were slightly above 50 are now slightly below. They're now in the upper 40s, 48, 49. Not a crisis, but not certainly going in the direction we would like it to go. And the problem, I think, is that some businesses are doing quite well and are in the right sector at the right time. Other sectors are still suffering. So we've got that kind of mixed news situation that we frequently get in the U.S. I mean, automotive perks back up because of the storms in, in Texas and Florida and the need to replace 4 million cars. On the other hand, you've not seen the same kind of growth when it comes to for example, the energy sector, it's not as booming as it was back in the day when everyone was talking about the market. So in a country this large, we tend to have that kind of experience. One side is up, another side is down. Um, the numbers aren't alarming, but they weren't they weren't going in the direction we hoped they would go. We had two months of, of growth, and now it's kind of tailed off a little bit. Well, at least it sounds like for the moment things are strong. Lewitt still continues to look good. 
Uh, I noticed, uh, Chris, that the the new credit uh, applications uh, have uh, really increased over the last uh, three months. Uh, so is that indicating uh, the reflecting the fact that uh, sales are up or is that indicating that people are looking for new vendors? You know, I think it's an indication of increased sales. One of the, one of the issues that has been discussed quite a bit has been that you're seeing a lot of, of, companies that had delayed doing their acquisitions and had been sort of pulling back on buying new machinery and and doing all that sort of stuff over the last two or three years. They're now starting to get back into the game. You know, we're hearing from a lot of the machine tool producers that long delayed orders are now being filled. Um, One of the things that's been baffling the FMA for a while is that we would do these surveys of job shops and the like, and they'd all say, well, you know, we're still on track to buy these new machines, but we're not buying them right now. We're going to buy them later. And the machine tool people are saying, would you please just pull the trigger and buy these things? Um, So now we're starting to see companies doing that buying, and part of it is motivated by the fact that their machines have simply worn out. It's it's been seven, eight, nine years since a lot of these companies have done this kind of investing, and now they're sort of up against it. They have to, and so you're seeing that on the manufacturing side, on the service side, it's probably driven more by construction um, than anything else. The construction season has lasted a little longer than it usually does. Um, retail, it's starting to show recovery signs, the latest consumer confidence numbers came out today, and the consumer is as confident as they've been in the last 17 years, which means nothing because next week they could be the most depressed they've been in 20 years. (laughs) You know, I mean, the consumer is the ultimate flake. They don't have a clue why they think what they think. (laughs) They just (laughs) go like, oh, yeah, I'm very confident. Are you talking about... I don't know. Why not? You talking about economists, or you're talking about the general public? No, oh, the general public. <laughs> economists are even worse. Um, but, but you know, through the years, we've always had a certain amount of, of of concern about consumer confidence surveys because they can be so volatile. I mean, in the days when oil prices would jump up and down on a daily basis, it would depend on when you asked the question. If you asked somebody if they were confident the day that oil prices went up, and gas prices went up. Oh God, they were so depressed. Oh my God, I'm going to take a fourth job and I'm going to sell my house. And, and then if you ask them on the day that prices went down, wow, prices went down a nickel. I'm going to buy a boat. <laughs> and it's like you are not. <laughs> yeah, very true, Chris. Uh, the whole capital investment picture. I know we've all been feeling, and I know Lou's company has been feeling it. He typically makes forgings that go into large machinery that Mm -hmm. then gets bought by somebody. And everybody is saying, we have the PO, we're not releasing it yet. We have the PO, we're not releasing it yet. Is capital investment now finally starting to tick upward? You're starting to see that. And I think what's happening is that, as you said, people have indicated that they want these things and they have, plans for it and it's in their strategy and all that sort of stuff they have just been waiting for some kind of signal that that the time was right and i think part of that is based on 
what was happening with the job market, what's happening with economic growth. Um, there's also been a sense that credit is a little easier to get um, than it has been in, in previous years. The banks for the last couple of years have been very worried about inflation. They're just convinced that it was going to come roaring back any minute because it usually does. When the unemployment rate falls to the level that it is now, we have a thing in economics we call the Phillips curve, and this has been an indicator for a long time until now. So the unemployment rate fell. Generally, that means wages go up. That means inflation goes up. That means the banks don't want to lend because they don't like to lend during an inflationary period. But none of that happened. Wages didn't go up. Um, the banks kind of waited and waited and waited and finally said, oh, we're not going to get inflation. Let's lend again. And and so all of a sudden the banks are getting active. It's interesting. And it's funny that you say that because over the last two weeks, I have noticed in my junk mail that comes in, solicitations for credit cards, which are picking mm-hmm. back up. They used to just <laughs> blow them out by the thousands. Oh, yeah. That's beginning to trickle back in. Tim, why don't we do a race? Because I'm getting that at home also. Why don't we do a race? See who can collect more credit cards in the shortest period of time. <laughs> of course, that destroys your, your personal credit rating when you do that. But uh, Right, exactly. Well, the good news is is that we're getting applications for our cats. You know, so, I mean, we can, we can actually have our, our, our animals go into debt, which would be fun. But not only is it applications for a credit card, but you're seeing banks openly soliciting uh, their customers and others saying, hey, have you thought seriously about spending vast sums of money that you borrow from me? And and it's it's not something that you saw even a year ago. You know, it's just ultimately that's how banks make their money, and and they want to get back in the game. They were hesitant when they thought that, they were going to be lending into an inflationary environment, but now that they're a little more relaxed about that, you know, they're, they're like, well, you know, this is this is how we grow. We're going to have to do this sooner or later. So, Chris, what is the magic or the black magic that causes inflation to tick up? Because it seems to be fairly quiet. The economy mm-hmm. is doing well. Uh, the Fed's holding back. Uh, I'm not, and you know, when we talk to manufacturers, they're just now somewhat comfortable at being able to pass on increased raw material costs for the first time in many years. Mm-hmm. Well, what really? So what's happening? With inflation. Well, inflation generally responds to two things, and one more than the other. I mean, the big driver has always been wages. That when you start to get a low unemployment rate. It tends to create more demand for the existing workers that are out there, and then you pay them more to get them. You end up paying your own workers more to keep them from being poached. That really has not played out this time. You know, we have seen the big issue is that companies do want to hire. They do want to bring people in, but they can't find the skills they need. We've talked about this a million times. But where that plays into inflation is that if you're hiring somebody who's not qualified and you're going to have to train them, well, you're not going to start right. them out at a high wage. You're going to say, well, buddy, you know, I'm going to pay you the minimum until I know you're worth it. 
So you're not seeing that wage pressure, and you're also not seeing on the commodity side, which is the other half, oil prices used to drive inflation. And every time you'd start to see any kind of recovery, the price of oil would go up. It's still in the 50s. I mean, you can't get it to budge. We have a hurricane that slams into half the refinery capacity of the United States, and the per barrel price went up $2.23 and went down three days later. So it's kind of like, eh, we have more oil than we know what to do with. Um, It doesn't matter what OPEC does. It doesn't matter what Russia does. You know, as long as North Dakota is still part of the United States, um, we're in good shape. (laughs) Canada still has its eye on them, but I mean, you know, um, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where we don't we don't have that concern anymore. Even the oil business is saying, yeah, we're never going to see oil prices anywhere near a hundred bucks a barrel again. So that just takes the wind out of the sails of commodity inflation. So the Fed is sitting around going, gosh. If only we could get to 2% inflation, which they can't do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Then we could raise our rates, and then we can't. So do you think they're going to actually raise rates in December? They will raise rates in December, but it's it's one of those, you know, oh, boy, it's gone up a quarter of a point. Who cares? Um, (laughs) It's it's simply not at a point that it discourages anybody who really wants to borrow. Um, The Fed is slowly tightening um they're trying to deal with that balance sheet we don't quite know who's going to be the head of the fed this has got to be the weirdest period of fed choice i mean this is one of those positions that is never controversial it's just kind of discussed among the financial community under trump you have four people in the running who are diametrically opposed to each other (laughs) so it's like there you there you go, Chris. You mentioned the magic word, Trump. Yes. Every, exactly. every, one, of, every one of his cabinet members are exactly the opposite of what they should be. And, and matter well, of fact, and, and this... And they're in competition with each other. Yeah. And that's part uh, of the problem, because none of the four people that have been suggested for the Fed are unqualified. They're all... You've got you know Janet Yellen still in the mix. Jerome Powell is currently on the Fed. Kevin Warsh used to be on the Fed. John Taylor is an economist from Stanford. The part that's weird is that Warsh and and, and Taylor are both very, very hawkish, would like to raise rates very quickly and very high. And then you've got Yellen and Powell, who are more dovish and would like to see the rates go up more slowly. I mean, the financial community is like, hi, this matters as to whether they're dove or hawk. Would you make a call, please? Right now, it seems that Powell is the favorite, but, you know, two weeks ago, Warsh was the favorite, and a week before that, Yellen was the favorite, and by the time <laughs> this was all over, we're probably going to have Ivanka uh, heading up the set, but it's hard to say. If she's not well, in jail. <laughs> well, that, you know, that maybe is... that won't matter. You know, I mean, you can, you oh, can still have access. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the mob ran uh, their businesses very successfully from jail for decades. So exactly <laughs> better, better than the government. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if uh, 
Scott Garrett to switch topics on the XM Bank. He's another oddball name that's popped up in the universe, and Lou and I have been talking about the XM Bank for quite some time. We're very pro-XM Bank because it helps manufacturers here sell goods overseas. They make money for the government, depending on who's counting the beans. Uh, I'm not sure Scott Garrett's the guy. What's your sense of all that mishmash, Chris? No, he really is not because... For some reason, and I don't quite yet still understand this, the Exxon Bank became controversial with people on the right side of the political spectrum. And I think there may have been even a misunderstanding of what exactly the Exxon Bank does, because I would hear the critics say, well, now, well we're, we're loaning money to other countries, and we never see that money come back. I said, no, 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 we see all that money come back. And the only reason that we loan to a country is for them to buy an American good. I mean, it comes with lots and lots of strings. If you want our money to make this purchase, you are going to buy a Caterpillar or a Boeing or an American good, period. And if you purchase anything from any other country, the deal is off. So, I mean, it is a direct subsidy to U.S. business, and it's one that is last year alone you had over 1,500 businesses in the U.S. use that technique, you know, and it's, you know, short of, of paying a company to, to export. I mean, it's about as, as natural and, and flawless a system as you can have. So why it's controversial is beyond me. It's just no, I think it. that you're, I think that you're right that the understanding of what XM Bank is and, uh, what it continues to be, not even to mention that it's one of the only agencies in the government that actually generates a profit. Uh, right. And and maybe maybe we're anti-profit now. I don't know. Is that something that's possible? Well, and I think I think part of it is that just you take advantage of people not really being up on on some of the arcane aspects of trade. I mean, the reason the ex in bank came into existence in the first place is that we were competing with governments that overtly paid. I mean, Boeing competes with Airbus. Airbus is subsidized by every single country in Europe to the tune of billions and billions and billions. The things that Boeing has to pay for on itself, Airbus doesn't. They just get money from the Germans and the French. I mean, they make parts for Airbus in every country in Europe. To compete with that, we have to find some way to allow our companies to be on a level playing field. The Exxon Bank says, look, we can't cut our prices to the point that subsidizing countries can. However, we'll help you, Government A, buy a product from the U.S. by giving you a loan. And that loan is paid back. I mean, all of the Exxon Bank loans have been paid back. It's just, you know, it's we have provisions in place, not the least of which is if you don't pay us back, we're coming and taking your airplane. (laughs) (laughs) It it tends to focus the mind. You know, it's like all of a sudden, why is that plane landing in the U.S.? We just seized it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, certainly I I know that the XM Bank can be widely used by many smaller businesses and I even know that there is a pickle company that exports mm-hmm. their pickles using the XM Bank. I think it's a terrific tool. Uh, 
Uh, I'm not quite sure why there is confusion about it because it's you know it's operated well for 80 years. I know that they talked about crony capitalism at one point, and I had to ask myself, I wonder what their campaign accounts are if, if the XM Bank is crony <laughs> capitalism. You're exactly right. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's the pickle mafia that we really have to worry about. So. <laughs> Is that kosher pickles or non-kosher? <laughs> well, you know, it, it kind of depends whether you're talking about the Italian mob or the Jewish mob. Um, That's so true. It's just, That's yeah. true. Yeah. So, so we know that when Trump was and he was talking about 3% GDP, 4% GDP. I, I'm not sure we're getting to 4 but what's it look like uh, going into 2018, Chris? Are things still going to remain strong? I think they probably will remain strong. We're, we've been in this pattern for the last several years that is almost becoming automatic. First quarter is generally down, um, probably the worst quarter of the year, and then we get a big recovery in the second quarter that generally carries into the third, and then you have a bit of a decline in the fourth. So we're kind of on track to do that same thing. We had almost 3.5% growth in the second quarter of this year. We're a little over three uh, in the third quarter. Probably would have been a bit higher if it had not been for the storms. But the recovery from the storms may make fourth quarter stronger than it would ordinarily have been because you've got all the reconstruction stuff going on. Generally speaking, we're in pretty good shape. Um, this has been helped by the fact that other countries in the world are also doing relatively well, and our export market depends on that. You know, the Europeans are 25% of our export destinations, and they now are growing at about 1%, which doesn't sound like much, but compared to the 0.02 that they were sporting last year, um, this is pretty impressive. Japan's growing again, China's growing again, and all of that stimulates what we sell overseas. So I think we can look for that to continue. Uh, I think the U.S. is going to have to be a little less hostile to some of the trade agreements that have made our export market work and understand that we have competition. If we decide not to do business with a given country, they can go somewhere else, and, and that's to the detriment of, of U.S. businesses. Of all the talk about jobs and creating jobs and preserving jobs, the most important thing to do is to preserve our export market because that's where a lot of our manufactured goods go. I mean, if you look at what we export, it's 60% machinery. Mm, you know, wow. You know, the there's an interesting point, and I'd like to just throw this by you in our in our uh, waning moments here. Um, the automotive industry, which is you know the largest uh, manufacturing industry we have, um, they're selling somewhere around sixteen, seventeen million cars a year. Uh, this year, it may be bigger because of uh, car replacements uh, due to the hurricanes. Mm-hmm. That said. I did run across a, a figure that I was really stunned by. And then I, I, I took that number and I uh, moved it further down the road, and I'll get to that in a second. The used car industry uh, sells 40 million cars a year in this, in, mm-hmm. in this country, which is 
obviously a huge number. Now, if they had in the automotive manufacturing industry some smart marketing guy, if they really want to tap into an untapped market to come up with some type of a to come up with some type of a clever marketing program to convince a portion of that 40 million that here's a better deal we can give you a better deal on a new car they could probably uh-huh. raise that 17% by 10 15 20% and tap into that used car buyer to give them a real good deal. Um, and I, I've been yeah, thinking about it right. usually when I go to bed. So what's no, your I thought on it? Yeah, I think one of the challenges of the auto sector in general has been that we make cars pretty well now. Um, back in the day, you didn't really have that kind of a used car market because cars didn't last that long and people didn't right. want to buy them. You know, we had a real good thing going there for a while with planned obsolescence. I mean, holy cow, as soon as you brought the car, you needed to replace it. Um, So, you know, that's always good news. But going into kind of the the future of, of the car market, we're probably going to have to recognize that the used car market is here to stay. It's an important part of the manufacturing cycle just because of the aftermarket for parts. But we may have to get a lot more aggressive about sort of promoting the the new car purchase. You know, that means getting the financial organizations involved, getting the banks involved. And frankly, the problem from a consumer perspective is that the cars don't change. So if you are driving around in a car that's four, five, six years old, it doesn't look any real different than the car that you bought this year. You know, we need to go back to fins. That way, people know <laughs> you're driving a new car because your fin size is different. But <laughs> now they all look like bubbles. Um, so, <laughs> well, well, that's true. That's that's true because uh, everybody wants the latest and greatest in terms of technology. Right, exactly. I, I mean, there are people that go out and buy a car. I I want the greatest GPS system. I don't care about the motor. I don't care about the miles per gallon, but I want a great GPS system. And uh, exactly. that's, what's, and, and that's what's driving us. It's driving it. And, and you know, lately, the, it just makes you question people buying an eighteen, nineteen, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 vehicle because they have a GPS that they can change the voice on. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've driven with some people in Ubers who've had some very interesting um, GPS voices. My favorite was the the Russian-accented woman who was giving very strict orders. <laughs> so, so you if, will. If you want, the German. You, oh, yeah. I mean, the German. You will make a left turn now. You know, it's like, so if you want to be abused by your car, there's an opportunity. So. <laughs> Well, Chris, thanks for joining us uh, with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Is there anything else on the economy you want to impart to our listeners before we jump here? The only thing just to be aware of, and everyone I think will be aware of it sooner than later, is that we're going into an election year, and that changes the dynamics considerably. A lot of the conversation is going to be more political than economic, and we're just going to have to get good at sifting through the rhetoric and try to figure out what 
what really matters uh, to our business. The good news is that consumers and the business community, for the most part, ignore politics. It's not relevant to them. It's not relevant to their buying decisions. It's not relevant to their business decisions. That especially becomes the case during a campaign. We're becoming more and more like Italy every year. The Italians have paid no attention to their government for 50 years, and, and we're getting to that point. Uh, one last point, uh, breaking news, breaking news. The yes. ISM PMI number just came out, and it has dropped 2.1 to 58.7, and that means I lost the bet in our offices here because <laughs> I, I figured it was going to be over 61. It just goes to show we all know nothing well, and it also goes to show the, the, the assertion that I've made for a long time, which is that the credit manager's index and the purchasing manager's index kind of twin. In many cases, the CMI almost predicts the PMI. So our drop was just about the same as the PMI and probably for much the same reason. So it's not terrifically bad news. I'm sure that when you talk to the PMI folks, they're not going to be sounding the alarm, but they're going to say, yeah, there are still some kinks in the system, and, and all is not perfect yet. Well, not only that, their, their idea is that you can't sustain above 60 for long. Uh, it's no. a good thing that we're lowering it. You know, there's always a good reason why the hurricane is coming. You know, <laughs> we, need, exactly. we need rain. We need rain. Uh, we could do without the flood. Uh, but anyway, I lost my bet, and... Uh, I don't know how I'm going to make up my the difference in my salary this week. <laughs> well, you just Chris, have to keep all that Halloween candy and sell it on the street. That's all. That's, that's true. That's true. Laced with uh, marijuana. There uh, you go. <laughs> Chris, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. And uh, we'll talk see. To you soon and, I'll, and I'll see you at Fabtech. I'm sure you will. You take all care right. now. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh, all right. We've been speaking with Chris Keel, who is the uh, uh, chief economist for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. And he's also with Armada Corporate Intelligence. Uh, for more information, tap into any one of those two resources and keep listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment, components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials? 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to ThomasNet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We are uh, doing a special edition 
with Tim Fiore, who is the committee chair for the ISM, that's the Institute for Supply Management, Manufacturing Report on Business. Uh, just a heads up, by the way, before we start speaking with Tim, we have a new show that's launching next Wednesday, 1 p.m. It is Women and Manufacturing. We have a great interview coming up with Anna Hess, who is one of the original Rosie the Riveters. This fascinating interview, it's like a walk through history with someone who lived it, coming from a dirt poor farm life at 15 years of age, going into manufacturing when, um, when uh, you know, we needed 3 million women in the workforce because the men were overseas. So tune into that next Wednesday, but let's get to our guest, Tim Fiore. Tim, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Hi, Tim. Hi, Lou. How you guys doing? Great. How you doing? So tell us what's new for our October report here on November 1. All right. So we're back on track uh, at pre-hurricane levels at a 58.7 uh, PMI for October, which is pretty much the same as August's 58.8. And we had that uh, burp in September at 60.8. So if you look at the uh, manufacturing at a glance, there's a lot of negative numbers there, but uh, I think it's a very positive report. So let me kind of summarize for you. On the demand side, our new orders is at 63.4, still very strong. Uh, September 64.6, August of 60.3. So, I mean, the new orders, which kind of sets the pace for everything, uh, has been at 62 plus since, uh, on average, since December, which is you know really, really strong. As long as that number stays up, everything else should follow. Our production, uh, our consumption side, production and employment, were down a combined 1.7, but they're equivalent numbers to August, uh, almost to the 10th. So, you know, the real story here was on the input side, supplier deliveries and uh, inventories combined were down uh, minus 7.5. So you look at them and uh, supplier deliveries at 61.4 shows that suppliers are continuing to struggle to meet demand. Uh, the number is still uh, stronger than it was in August at 57.6, but slightly off of uh, September's number, 64.4. And then on the inventory side, uh, we closed the period at 48, which says that the inventories are contracting and uh, probably too low. That's a minus 4.5 reduction from September. And in August, it was 55.5. So we're, con- we're showing a continuing decline here in raw material inventories, which Overall is good because it says that there's still demand. The suppliers are still struggling, struggling to deliver on time. And uh, you know, as we close the fiscal year here, uh, you would expect that inventory levels will be declining because it's it's you're entering that period of time when people are managing cash. So uh, overall, very good. You know, I think you know if I look at the demand side here, new orders 63.4. Customer inventories were down slightly. Uh, meaning that they improved a little bit compared to last month and compared to August. Uh, I have a little bit of concern there, but it's still a very low number, historical low. And uh, probably the biggest story here is the backlog at 55, which is down three points from September, down two and a half from August. So we were able to chew up some of that backlog. Um, And I want to keep a close eye on that number. Uh, Hopefully that will continue to stay north of 50. Uh, interesting uh, numbers, uh, uh, Tim. 
and uh, the All Metals and Forge Group, which is the uh, our manufacturing arm of uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio, uh, we saw actually a significant increase in our sales in, uh, for the month of October, um, which we normally trail. However, uh, ISM goes is the way our manufacturing division goes. Uh, this time uh, we're seeing um, significant increases, and frankly, I'm not sure why. It seems to be in the uh, oil and energy sector, which uh, I would have thought would uh, still be in the uh, doldrums. Do you have uh, well, anything on that? Well, you know, of, of the five indexes that make up the PMI, uh, our six big industry sectors all expanded mm-hmm. in the period, and they expanded significantly. The only one that they didn't expand in was the inventory side, where uh, only two of the six actually recorded higher inventories, which would indicate to me that they're consuming um, you know, the raw material inventories, meaning that suppliers can't resatisfy them as quickly. So. You know, we had 16 of the 18 industries expanding in the sector, and uh, petroleum and coal products was there in all of those five elements except for the uh, raw material inventory side. And I think we're consistent with your number. There are 63.4 new orders, and, and you've shown you're, you're logging more sales. And we had a 61-month on production side, which means we you know made stuff and shipped it. So, yeah, I think it was a really strong month. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, I think last month I said, if you took the hurricane out of September, we were probably 57 to 59 and a half in that range, and uh, you know here we are at 58.7. That kind of says to me that October and September were about the same output months. Uh, deliveries, supplier deliveries, possibly are impacting production, but it remains to be seen. Can you uh, explain for our listeners that uh, why the hurricanes that uh, came all back to back that pretty much decimated? Uh, a month or more. Why did the numbers go up? Well, you know, supplier deliveries and raw material inventories, uh, when suppliers have difficulty in delivering, that actually adds to the PMI. And when inventories go up, that adds to the PMI too. So, ah. uh, you know, in the prior months, we had supplier deliver supplier deliveries primarily, I think last month it was up seven points compared to the right. prior month. So that really provided the big momentum there for the September 60.8 number. So as suppliers are continuing to struggle, but not struggling as bad as they were last month because of the, you know, the near-term impacts from those uh, hurricanes, primarily Harvey, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things are improving a little bit and that's, that's what's really knocking our number down. So, I mean, you want to find the right number, right? Because as, as we've said in the past, you don't want supplier deliveries to impact raw material inventories to the point where it also limits production. And uh, what what the numbers are saying this month is that production really wasn't limited. New orders continue to come up, but we've also been able to consume some of the backlog and also meet some of the customer inventory demands. So I would say we made a slight improvement in overall output this month. And uh, as demand continues to remain at such high levels, uh, you know, things are looking pretty good. What do you think is going to go forward for November and December? Yeah. A great question. You know, so as I'm, I'm uh, as I'm talking through this today and, and got ready for the phone call, you know, I'm kind of penciling in some numbers of uh, you know what might happen going forward. You know, with a new order number at 63.4, like I said, really strong. If uh, if we got back to the pre-hurricane levels of 60, 61, 
then uh, you know you could you could see uh, this November December being a 60 to 61 and a half month for new orders. Uh, production and employment would probably remain the same. Uh, I would see supplier deliveries continue to improve to the level of maybe a 56, which is uh, where we were historically pre-hurricane. And then uh, I, I would see raw material inventories continue to decline, maybe a point or so to the 47 level as uh, people are making sure they're not receiving material that they can't use this year. Net result of that gets you a 57 PMI for November and, uh, and December, you know, X any seasonal adjustment factors. So, but if you add that to the 10 months so far, I mean, you're sitting at a 57 PMI for the entire year, and that's about a 4% growth rate. So, uh, I'll take those numbers all day long. Yeah, you bet. You bet. And, you know, the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, we started the year here at around a 4% growth rate. And, uh, you know, everybody was saying it was going to be a 1.8 year. And, and now they've crept it up uh, last two quarters, according to the BEA, as we were at 3%. One was 3.1, one was 3. So the numbers are moving closer to our 4%. I, you know, I don't see any reason why our number would drop anywhere below 57. Uh, it would be a very big surprise to me if we saw that happening in the last two months. So, uh, so we'll probably end up at a 57 average for the year, and you know, Q4, BEA will probably come out with a number in February. It'll probably be you know close to three percent. So, you know, three out of four quarters were three plus percentage points uh, in GDP growth, and that only gives us a 25 percent gap to our number. So we, you know, we've kind of closed the gap, I think. Yeah. So we're not going to see a four to five percent GDP. Well, as I mean, some uh, as some predict. Country. <laughs> well, well, that would be something. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't mind sticking it, around for that. I might even go back to work. Yeah, you might even <laughs> take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't do that. But I might go back to work because that would mean wages will be way up, won't they? <laughs> uh, Tim, do you expect supplier deliveries to actually uh, keep pace with this, uh, let's say, warm of an economy? Yeah, well, yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, what we're showing, anything over 50 means that they're struggling. The bigger the number over 50, the more they're struggling. And, uh, you know, we, we, August was 57, September was 64. We're now at 61. And there's still a lot of comments coming in about transportation and freight disruptions, uh, which, you know, some of that's related to hurricanes, some of that's related to overall transportation system issues. And some of it is related to... Uh, basic road freight demand and we have a lot of comments about lack of capacity in the transportation sector here leading to supply chain disruptions so you know some of it has to do with expedited freight post hurricane you know dedicated dry vans and things rushing stuff around to meet production schedules but you know i think supplier deliveries will as we close the year i mean people don't really prep for january until second, third week of December, you know, everybody's going to want to manage cash as they normally do in the, in the manufacturing environment as we close the year. We, uh, we have four measurement points in a public company for inventories, uh, and one of them is coming up at the end of the year. I would expect that number to stay low, which means it'll be easier for suppliers to deliver. So, yeah, I think the I think supplier delivery number is going to come back in the 55, 56 range and still reflects uh, a significant amount of demand that they're having to respond to, but it would also indicate to me that they're able to respond to most of it compared to where it was last month. Uh, Tim, do I dare to project that January, February, contrary to typical first quarter uh, results, that this could be a uh, 
beginning of a good year, considering well, we've had two or three not so good? Yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're going to close the year here pretty strong, I think. Uh, but there's nothing that indicates that we'll go into next year really weak. I mean, January is never really a strong month. Uh, right. There's a lot of uh, adjustments that occur in the first couple of weeks, and uh, you know, people coming back from holiday vacations and stuff at the end of December. And so, but our, our seasonal adjustment factor will probably, uh, you know, account for some of that. But I don't see why we don't just continue. I mean, we're we're 19 months into a 30 to 34 month cycle. Uh, we've been saying that we probably have at least another 12 months to go on an expansion mode in the manufacturing environment. There's nothing that would indicate that that's not going to continue. So, uh, you know, I think January, February will be strong months also. Yeah, by February, the cook, the book should be finished being cooked for January. Yeah, it's all baked. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's all baked. But, you know, so right. prices, I mean, the, the prices but, thing is is, uh, is real interesting. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about that last month. And, we, you know, we said that a lot of the manufacturing people are uh, talking about price structures for 2018 with their suppliers. Uh, we did see a relaxation of the price number by three points. Uh, you know, nothing too too severe. That's about a 12 percentage point decline within the range of the PMI, which is 45 to 70. Um, you know, steel is still at, at, uh, at fairly low nominals. You know, spot price for steel is about 614. Uh, copper seems to be climbing again. It seems to be doing a cycle, not not big swings, but. It's not on our list of uh, stuff up in price this month, but uh, I don't believe it is. Hold on. But if you look at the spot price, it's it's climbing again, so it, it may show up again. Yeah, it's off of our list this month, but it may show up again next month. The plastic things will continue, I think, into January, February, and then by then, uh, you know, hurricane impacts from uh, September, early September, late August will have dissipated. And uh, yeah, you know, I think I think you know the the adjustments here for understanding the price structure into 2018 are kind of well known. Uh, a lot of the earnings have been reported so far. Revenues are up. Margins are up. That's all really good. Uh, but that would indicate to me that these price increases that we've had for the last six months have been passed through successfully to the next level because revenue is up and margins expanding. So, yeah, I, I think uh, you know, I think we're in pretty good shape here. I'm, I'm anxious to get away from the hurricanes now because it's, 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 uh, it's causing – uh, you know, it's causing me to, 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 to do not factoring or eyebrow raising, but it's like, okay, let's move on here so we can get back to the pure economy. Well, I think uh, after this show, uh, Tim, I'm going to go put my deposit down on a new boat. <laughs> yeah, just, don't take, just don't take a second mortgage out, Lou, okay? Now, <laughs> listen, to be, to be a solid American, you have to be in debt. No, well, no, no two ways about it. It's almost un American. That's true. And then, yeah, try to avoid the credit card stuff. Yeah, at 24%. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, yeah, I've always <laughs> said if the banks do well, Americans do well. So the yeah. banks are That's doing well. That's put out by the banks. <laughs> yeah. It's self fulfilling, isn't it? That's correct. <laughs> Tim, I'm curious, and I'm going to ask Anthony Nieves this question when we interview him. In terms of transportation, I know that the transportation companies are having a difficult time finding drivers. They're talking about driverless rigs. What do you foresee happening in transportation as it affects manufacturing in the coming year? Because it, it looks to get much tighter. What are your respondents saying? 
Yes, yes. Well, they've gone through a period of time here where, where they've had a lot of difficulty, and driver shortages have always been a problem. I mean, the numbers, I, you know, I worked in the transportation sector in the early 2000s, and it was always difficult uh, attracting and retaining good qualified drivers and the, the more the economy expands the more that becomes a big issue we're you know we're seeing a lot of comments on the manufacturing side that obviously leads to supply chain disruptions it leads to uh, expedited freight costs which impact margins and things so I, I like it I mean I, I like to I follow some of the transportation companies I, lo- I like to see their revenue miles how many uh, miles they actually build compared to the prior month or uh, year over year and it seems like those miles are up, which is always a good thing. The more, the more miles a truck drives, generally, the better the economy is. And uh, I, you know, I've used transportation companies as an indicator of manufacturing health. And everything I'm seeing here in the comments says that uh, people are struggling getting good, uh, good transporters to arrive on time and, and, uh, and to deliver on time. And in large respect, that's probably due to the fact they're having trouble finding qualified drivers. And I mean, our transportation sector... And the manufacturing side, which includes truck manufacturing, uh, has been strong. It's our number two category. Lots of comments coming from them that says demand is good. So, I mean, without a truck, you don't need a driver, right? So um, as long as the truck manufacturing is starting to accelerate up a bit and, uh, you know, they can find the qualified drivers that are needed, uh, it'll be less and less of an issue in the supply chain. But, you know, it'll probably, it's probably going to remain an issue, you know, as we cross into January, February. Uh, Tim, uh, for the sake of our listeners, uh, where do you, where do you find uh, truck miles driven? Uh, most of the most of the big leasing companies will report that uh, it's, it's something that'll be uh, you know X gap. So because um, most of your truck leasing companies, they'll lease a vehicle out, it'll include so many miles, and then they bill out uh, X amount over the, over those miles. And since they still own the vehicles, they know how many miles are being put on them. So. You can find that in some of the big truck leasing companies' financials. Okay. That's a good thing to know. Sounds like you have to dig for it a little bit or know where to dig for it to find it. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes they'll report it. I listen into the analyst calls. Uh, sometimes they'll report it on the analyst calls. It makes it easier to find it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We were speaking uh, also with an economist on exports, and exports seem to be continuing to be strong uh europe their economy seems to be humming along and they're 25 percent of our exports uh i guess as long as the dollar remains or softens a bit this is going to continue as well is that right tim well you know we we finished the month at 56.5 uh last month 57 okay month before that 55.5 so it's still a really strong expansion mode uh, machinery and transportation equipment are number six and number two categories. We're at the top of the expansion list, which would uh, indicate that they're probably uh, you know north of 60, and that's really good. You know that's high value stuff, lots of steel in it, lots of labor content, uh, special finishing. And as long as we get Scott Garrett out of XM Bank. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's got a lot to do with the air side, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We had, uh, he's we problematic. Had yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. It would be nice if that got resolved. Um, but you know, we had five of the six big industries expanding, and even the chemical side uh, had a slight expansion, probably closer to 50 to 53. But 
we had five of the six expanding. I think uh, petroleum and coal products was the only one that didn't uh, expand on the export side. So exports are and good. I mean, the, it's been a good number. Uh, I'm sorry, Tim. Is the is the chemical uh, industry recovering now post hurricane? I, I didn't know when that hit. How long they would be hobbled by it? Are they coming back pretty quickly, pretty strong? Well, lots, you know, lots of comments about uh, shortages and to some extent allocations and uh, price increases. You can see it in our stuff that's up in price. There's a lot of basic and intermediate chemicals as well as plastic products that are showing up. Uh, you know, all the polys again. The resin-based products are all chemicals, solvents. Um, glycols, high-density polyethylene, low-density polyethylene, hydrochloric acid. So, I mean, we're still experiencing the impact of that. And, you know, a lot of this stuff shows up three or four layers down in the supply chain. And uh, it gets passed through slowly. That's why we had said uh, at the end of August that our our survey panel pretty much thought that we'd have about three months of supply chain disruptions. And uh, October is the end of the second month, you know, one more month of that. And we'd have about six months, up to six months of price impacts. And, you know, that brings us to February. So whether whether we'll know, you know, in January or February, whether, you know, price increases in plastic resins were driven by the hurricane or not remains to be seen. But, you know, pretty much as we close the year here, we'll probably continue to have price impacts driven by the hurricanes and to a smaller extent supply chain disruptions. And, and what that will mean is that the, the supply chain difficulties in moving material from point A to point B will be more based on true demands and not the artificial impact of a natural disaster. Well, that's that's great uh, to hear. Obviously, a very strong report. Um, I, I know that most mainstream media is going to say the ISM number is down from the previous month and misstate that this is actually a roll up every month. We like to emphasize that it's a roll up and it rolled up really nice, Tim. Thanks yeah. for being with us to explain it. Yeah, you, you bet. Uh, so, yeah, so, you know, final comments here, price pressure, um, 14 of 18 sectors reported price increases. Last month we had 18 of 18. So you can see it's kind of backing down a little bit. And, uh, and my last comment is here. I did do another sample survey. I counted up 130 comments. And we had 30, 32 that were hurricane-related this month. So converting that to a percentage, last month we had 54% comments were hurricane-related. This month it was 24%. So, you know, so we've cut that number in half. Well, that's, that's great. And I'm glad to hear that uh, we're beginning to uh, – uh, resolve the hurricane issue. I, I don't know how Puerto Rico is doing at this point. I think they still have a very long way to go, uh, but uh, this too shall pass. Uh, before you before you uh, say sayonara to go to all the mainstream guys and not have as much fun as you do with us, uh, I just <laughs> wanted to point out that uh, we have a new show starting November 8th uh, called Wham! Women and Manufacturing. And our inaugural show is with Anna Hess, who is one of the original uh, Rosie the Riveters. Uh, she lied to get the job. She was six. She was 15. She had to be 16, so she broke the law. Uh, we have a 45-minute segment with her, and she is uh, 
living piece of history. And uh, so I'm suggesting that you all tune into that. It's November 8th, next Wednesday at 1 p.m. And uh, we're going to have a good time with this show. So uh, I, I, all of you make a notation of that. And uh, uh, Tim, thanks for being on the show. Uh, say hello to uh, uh, Bloomberg and CNN and all the rest of the guys. And uh, we'll talk to you next month. Yeah, glad to be here, guys. Uh, have a good month. Yeah, you too. All right, thanks. Thank, thank you. Will do. Will do. And we've been speaking with Tim Fiore, who is the committee chair for the Institute for Supply Management's report on business. That just came out this morning. So we're going to run this show as a special, and you'll hear more of it next week. And we're going to pair it up with a couple of other folks. I'm not quite sure what we'll pair it up with. It may be Chris Keel. It may be Anthony Nieves. It may be all of the above. But we've got a ton of great information packed into this show and what's coming up next Tuesday. So as always, go to mfgtalkradio.com and visit our website for all of our shows. And you can listen to them uh, when they go live or when they are put in the archive where we keep them in our library. Lou, I think that kind of wraps us up for today, unless you've got anything else to throw in. I'm looking forward to the Anna Hess show. That's It's so neat. No, that's a great show, and uh, I, I think that we uh, really did a great job with that. And uh, as you remembered, I said I have to go put a deposit on a boat, uh, <laughs> and uh, hopefully I could pay cash, no mortgage even though that's uh, anti-American. So, uh, Tim, we'll be talking again. Great, Lou. Thanks. And that wraps us up for this special episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.